So uh, today we're continuing our Acts series and um, we're exploring this massive truth that we've been looking at, which is um, the place that God dwells is within us, within our, in our midst, and we are his new temple, the church. And I've really been sitting in this idea and it's really be, been coming uh, significant to me uh, because if the, if the church, if our gathering is really the presence where, where God dwells, then our top priority when we gather is to really embrace that, to really focus on that. It's more important than everything we do, isn't it? And if God is, if God is really here, um, that is a treasure beyond imagining. And if, if we keep that in the front of our minds, whenever we're at church, whenever we're doing something for church, um, and that will be like the engine that gives us the passion and the power to continue in the Lord. So um, it doesn't mean that, that we don't put effort in ourselves. It doesn't mean that, that we don't try and get better in our giftings. Um, but it does mean that, that that is the priority. That is the ultimate priority. That, that's why we're here. Because of the presence of the Lord. And I thought about an analogy. It's like... The Louvre in Paris, you know, where all the works of art are. No, no one goes to the Louvre to see the building, right? No one goes to the Louvre and goes, oh, what an amazing building, and ignores all the works of art. It's like the church. The church, we're, we're like the Louvre, the building itself in some respects. We, we, the, the treasure we contain is the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. And people will come, and, and we come together to celebrate the presence of God. That's the treasure. So... Um, yeah, this, this idea of, of being the place where God dwells and a place where people, ourselves included, can experience the presence of God has really um, been really sitting in that. And um, yeah, our role as his temple is to seek a greater expression of his presence um, in our midst. So that's going to be an ongoing journey um, that, that we're going to be on. And the greater the expression that the Holy Spirit has in a group of believers, the more that they will reflect, the more that we will reflect the glory of God ourselves and the greater impact that we will have on the world around us. And uh, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. So Paul is saying that the transformation into the image of God, the likeness of God, uh, comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit. And uh, he also says, where the Spirit of the Lord, there will be freedom. And if you read the context, um, he's talking about um, when Moses received the Ten Commandments. And then he put a veil over his face so that the people couldn't see that the glory of the Lord was, was disappearing. It was, it was actually getting less. Um, so what he's saying here is in the new covenant, we, we don't have to veil our faces anymore to, to hide that the presence of God is, is gradually receding because it's not. It's still here with us. That's the amazing thing about the new covenant. So, and there's also this idea that um, the freedom that he's talking about comes from the freedom from the condemnation of failing to, to meet the requirements of the law. That's what he's talking about. We're free from that condemnation. 
And that is because in, in Christ we're made perfect forever. And I keep on banging on about this and I will con continue to bang on about it because it is the most uh, fundamental idea, I think, that, that in Christ, uh, Hebrews 10, 14, for we are made perfect uh, forever, for he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So God sees us as perfect forever in his sight, even though we're continuing to be made holy. That's, when I first read it, I thought, what? But that, that's the, the truth, this wonderful truth, that um, God has forgiven all of our sins, our past, our present, our future. And, and the reason why that's so important in this context of thinking about us as the place where God dwells is that if, if we rely on our own obedience to the law as a reason for God's presence to be here, we, we're never going to be able to rest in the law. Because as soon as we sin, if we have a sexual thought or we, we, we think about um, we're jealous of someone or we, we want what they've got or whatever, we're going to think, oh, I've got to go out of the presence of God and clean myself up. And then, you know, there's, there's going to be a, you, we, just doesn't work. You can't, there won't be this, the, the presence of God won't be a safe place. And if we accept this truth that God has forgiven all of our sins, our past, our present, and our future sins, then instead of when we, because we're going to sin, right? We sin every week. <laughs> every day. Every day. Every hour. Every hour. And, and so instead of when, when we sin, we just take it straight to God and say, thank you, Lord, that you've already forgiven me. I can stay in your presence because of what you've done. Not because of my perfect obedience. I can stay in your presence because of what you have done. You've made me perfect forever. And this is the, the wonderful, wonderful righteousness of Christ that is a gift to us. And the more we embrace that, the more we will leave behind addictions in our lives. That was my experience. Um, brokenness, heartache. Um, we will stop us focusing on the wrong things. The more we celebrate and rejoice in this, this wonderful idea that we are being made perfect forever. Wonderful, wonderful truth. And this is what Paul said, beautiful. And we all, who with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. That The glory of the Lord is, is in his presence, right? So we can contemplate the glory of the Lord in his presence. That's what Paul is saying. We don't, we've got nothing to hide. We don't have to have anything between us and the Lord. We can stay in his presence and contemplate his glory because of what he's done. And that's the, the beauty and the holiness of God. And so as we, um, we, we move towards what we meditate on, don't we? We move towards what we think about. And the more we think about this beautiful truth that God has made us perfect forever, we will move towards the Lord. So these things are inextricably linked, I think. The, the, the idea that we've been made perfect forever in the sight of God and the dwelling place of God, his temple, these two things that you can't have one without the other, I don't think. And so the, I just wanted to, before we move on into our passage today, I wanted to make that clear. That's why these, these things are so important that we're talking about. Um, we can't, we will we'll never be able to enjoy the presence of God unless we're able to rest in his presence based on what he's done and not what, what we've done. So <clears throat> our reading today is from Acts 3, 1 to 16. And where God heals a lame man through Peter at the beautiful gate. So I wanted to, I started doing a bit of background understanding what was going on here. And I found this, this model of the temple. So as you can see, it's quite the, quite the place, it's quite a big place. And this, 
this here is on. Oh. <clears throat> oh, that's a shame. The old pointer doesn't work on the screen. <laughs> so <clears throat> Solomon's porch, the Arab colonnade that we read about in the in the reading. That's that's where they were. The church, the early church, used to gather for teaching and fellowship. Uh, and the beautiful gate you can see is actually the gate that goes into the temple proper. Um, and this area outside is the court of the Gentiles. So the Gentiles could go into that big area around the temple, but they could not go into um, the, the temple proper. And this guy was, this lane beggar was begging at the beautiful gate. <clears throat> so uh, immediately we can see that he was taken here every day, which means at the end of the day, so they have to go and get him, right? So it's no small thing. Who knows where he lived around the area? He must have had great family or great mates or something because they would have had to carry him all the way uh, and place him at the beautiful gate and then go and get him at the end of the day. So I thought that doing the dishes at home was a big chore every day, but <clears throat> there's nothing compared to that. So, um, so big ramp there too, big ramp. Um, and it says in Acts 4.22 that uh, this man was over 40 years old. So it's possible that he had been there for a great number of years, possibly 15 to 20 years. Um, and that's got some other questions that have come up in my mind. So the first question I had <clears throat> when I saw where the beautiful gate was, was why didn't he beg at the front here? Because then he would have got all the Gentiles as well. <laughs> and I think um, in answering this question, this guy was a Jew. And we know that he was a Jew because after he was healed, after the Lord healed him through Peter, he walked into the temple. Now, why, is that, why does that mean he was a Jew? Because in 1871, a stone was found with this inscription carved into it. <clears throat> in Greek, no foreigner may enter within the balustrade around the sanctuary and the enclosure. Whoever is caught on himself shall be put the blame for the death, death that will ensure. <clears throat> right, so he can't have been a Gentile because <laughs> he would have got put to death. That would have been a bum rank. Get healed. Hey! <clears throat> So I think that's why he was at the beautiful gate, because Jews looked down on Gentiles, and even though he was lame, he would have looked down on Gentiles as well. <coughs> and uh, unlikely that he would have accepted money from them. Um, but I also found that um, there's a number of biblical scholars who conclude that the blind and the lame were excluded from the temple courts. So this guy couldn't go in to the temple because he was lame. So it's easy to overlook the significance of the fact that when he entered the, the temple with, after Peter healed him, it quite possibly was his first time. Which is, I mean, you can see why he was so stoked. And um, hey, under, the ten, under the temple protocol, for the first time after, being, after he was healed, he could go into the temple of God. <coughs> And I thought, isn't that, that might be a metaphor for all of us. We were all born spiritually blind and lame, as it were, and uh, through no fault of our own. And we were excluded from being able to experience the presence of God, just like this guy was physically. But through the finished work of Jesus, God made us spiritually whole, and therefore we can enter into his presence. It's like a, it's a picture of what Jesus has done. The second question I had was, if you had been placed at the beautiful gate for a long time, surely Jesus would have crossed his path. Um, which 
made me think, why didn't Jesus heal him? And I could think of three possibilities. Um, so first of all, the Bible doesn't specifically say how long this guy had been placed at the beautiful gate. So it's possible that maybe he and Jesus never crossed paths because he'd only been going there a few months or something like that. Um, but, and it's only been a few months since Jesus um, was crucified, right? So we're not talking about a great period of time. <clears throat> but Acts 4 said that all the people were praising God because the man was over 40 years old, implying he was well known because he had been there a long time. That's, that's how I would read that. So I think it's unlikely that Jesus and this guy hadn't have, uh, it was unlikely that they had not come in contact. Um, <clears throat> so the second possibility is related to this idea that the lame could not go into the temple. And in Matthew 21, <clears throat> we read this, The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they, <clears throat> they were indignant. So we can see, in addition to what the, the teachers of the law were indignant because of his uh, popularity, but now we understand that there's another reason they were indignant, was because people were bringing the lame and the blind into the temple and they were breaking temple protocol. So, uh, so they were indignant on two fronts. And the fact that Jesus healed them in the temple, giving them the right to be there, ultimately, uh, didn't change the fact, according to them, that he was breaking temple protocol because they were lame before they came in. So <clears throat> in the case of this guy, perhaps no one took him to Jesus. Maybe, maybe he'd just been sitting outside the gate and he'd missed out. But, you know, like, if you've been, ever been desperate for healing, de desperate for God to do something, you know that you'll do anything to get in there, right? And, and even if he had to crawl on his, you know, <laughs> his hands or, or call out to someone, take me in there because this guy's healing the lame. Um, let me in there. So I, I just can't imagine that, that he would have just sat there. And, he, and heard all these people being healed and not wanting to get in there. So the only <clears throat> possibility, I think, uh, that's left is that Jesus and this guy had previously come in contact with him, but Jesus had chosen not to heal him at that time because he, he knew what was ahead for this guy. And that raises a number of questions. Um, the, the primary one is, uh, for us, is to trust the Lord in his timing, Right? Imagine, imagine, why, Lord, why didn't you heal me? I've got something better for you. What? How does that work? You know, you can imagine what, if this is correct, uh, you imagine what, what it would have been like for him. And he would have, you know, and then Jesus gets crucified and it's like, well, there was it, that was, there goes my chance, you know. What now? You can imagine what, if this is the, if this is the, the correct answer to this question, um, yeah, you can imagine what the poor guy had been feeling. And it's easy to say, trust in the Lord and his timing, until you face the situation where you do have to do that. <clears throat> so, um, yeah. So, we can see in the story that, that the Lord has used his healing, not only for his benefit, but for the benefit of a whole lot of people. And it's recorded specifically in the scriptures. So, it's really important. Um, and we're going to... Uh, eventually get to the special significance of this healing 
soon, which is why it's in the scripture. Like it said, <clears throat> uh, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. So he did lots of, Jesus did lots of healing at the temple, but we don't know the details of any of those people, right? Don't know how old they are, don't know how long, you know, not like this guy. We know all about this guy, well, not all about him, but we know a lot about this guy. <clears throat> so there's something really significant why these details have been recorded. So as far as background then, <clears throat> we've seen that this guy was a Jew who quite possibly had been begging at the beautiful gate for many years and had never been in the temple because he was unclean or considered unclean. <clears throat> and it's also likely that he had come into contact at Jesus, with Jesus at some point and had not been healed because Jesus' plan for, for his life involved something much more significant. So let's carry on and, um, and see if we can... Um, find out what, why this miracle has been recorded in such detail. So let's move on to <coughs> the healing of, of this guy. Um, it's interesting to note that this man, the lame beggar, was only seeking money. Healing wasn't even on his radar. <coughs> and we know this because um, he, he called out to Peter and John. And it's interesting to note that Peter and John were just about to go into the temple. So they were just about to just about left this guy behind, right? So they passed him, just about to go into the temple, and this guy calls out, hey. And then Peter says, look at, look at us, look at me. And this, the guy looks at him, expecting, it said expecting something. And the context, I think, is just expecting money. He wasn't expecting anything else. So I think the, the idea that he could ever walk again must have died to Jesus, I think. So I think the Holy Spirit prompted this guy to, to cry out to, to Peter and John as they walked past. And then the Holy Spirit prompted Peter, stop, I want you to do something with this, with this guy. So <clears throat> what did Peter do? He said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Huh. Now it's interesting that um, the healing happened in the in the act of standing up, right? So I think with the spiritual gifts, there's a there's a, there's a place of where, where the Lord wants us to step out in faith, and this guy certainly did that. He he could have gone, okay, here I am, but. He, he grabbed hold of Peter's hands and he, he went to, to get up. And in the process of getting up, he was healed. But it's interesting to look at what Peter said there. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now, in the name of, what does, that, what does that mean? It means to act using the authority given by someone or something. And there's two parts to this. First, the authority must be current and recognised. And the second thing is that the person claiming the authority must be, must be a recognised agent of the authority. So, if I commanded something to do, for someone to do something, if I said, stop in the name of Julius Caesar, <clears throat> so like, what? Julius is dead, mate. You know? <laughs> and who are you anyway? So, right, so there's, there's the name and the authority, and there's the, the recognised agent. So, uh, so we can see now the significance of this miracle. Why? Because it's the first miracle, 
the Peter's first miracle as leader of the church in the post-resurrection era. So this is the first miracle after the resurrection. And, and Peter, in claiming in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, is saying that Jesus is still alive, he's still a power, he's still an authority, and he's displaying that, he's claiming I'm an agent of his authority, and because of that, stand up. And look what happened. Yeah, yeah. So this idea that that we are the temple of God where God dwells, Peter Peter was living this. But this is this is that in action. In the in the name of the sermon is where God dwells, he moves, and he moves in power. Right? So this is this is I think the main reason why this story is so important. First miracle after the resurrection, Peter's claiming that Jesus is still alive and he's still active and he's got power to do stuff. And not only that, that he's an agent. And that's because the Spirit of God was in him. He was, he was the temple of God. And because of that, it was Jesus standing in front of that lame guy. It was Jesus reaching out and lifting him up. <coughs> so the healing caused the great commotion <coughs> and they made their way, I think they made their way over to the Solomon's Colonnade. And then, um, uh, with all the commotion, <clears throat> Peter launched his second sermon. <clears throat> and it's interesting to know how he starts his uh, second address. Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or innocent? He had made this man walk. Interesting statement to kick off. So Peter makes it clear that the miracle didn't happen because he had the power. And that's easy to understand, because I'd be doing all sorts of stuff if I had that power, but I don't, so I can't. And then he goes on to say something else that's very interesting, that it's not because of his own godliness either that caused the man to walk. And I did a bit of research on this word, godliness, and the Greek word here is eusebeia. Uh, and I found books with whole chapters. <laughs> written on what this word means. And one of the guys, Philip Towner, concluded that uh, a Eusebeia means genuine Christian, Christian existence. Or, if we paraphrase in the modern term, the real deal. So Peter was the real deal. And, and I guess that's what we mean. If we say someone's a very godly person, we mean that they're the real deal. They have the characteristics of the Lord. <clears throat> So the miracle did not happen because Peter was the genuine article, the real deal, the man who was authentically living as a Christian ought to. Yeah. In other words, it wasn't Peter's performance as a Christian that allowed the power of God to flow through him to make this healing happen. And that's something that, I don't know about you, but we get wrong all the time. <clears throat> we constantly come back and look at ourselves and we, we judge, oh, I'm not godly enough for that to happen. Or I'm not... I'm not good enough for God to use me in that way. Or I, and we always point to ourselves. But Peter's saying, no, even if I was, um, I am, you know, he's not pointing to his own godliness. He's not saying that it's because he's the real deal that this happened. <clears throat> so what was it then? Peter said this, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. And I thought, the faith that comes through him, 
Shouldn't that be the faith that's in him, that, that we have in him? That's, <clears throat> that's not what he said, the faith that comes through him. Now, I did a bit of digging into this as well, and I found this very interesting story from a guy called A.B. Simpson. And he, he wrote, uh, he grew up with, with really severe illness for most of his life, <clears throat> and the Lord healed him. And this is what he wrote about that journey. There came a time where even faith seemed to come between me and Jesus. I thought I should have to work up the faith, so I laboured to get the faith. At last I thought I had it, that if I put my whole weight upon it, it would hold. I said when I thought I had got the faith, heal me. I was trusting in myself, in my own heart, in my own faith. I was asking the Lord to do something for me because of something in me, not because of something in Him. So the Lord allowed the devil to try my faith, and the devil devoured it like a roaring lion, and I found myself so broken down that I did not think I had any faith. <laughs> God allowed it to be taken away until I felt I had none. Poor fellow. What happened next? And then God seemed to speak to me so sweetly, saying, Never mind, my child, you have nothing. But I am perfect power. I am perfect love. I am faith. I am your life. I'm the preparation for the blessing, and then I am the blessing too. I am all within and all without, and all forever. It is just having faith in God, Mark 11, 22. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live not by faith on the Son of God, but by, by the faith of the Son of God. Galatians 2, 3. That's it. It is not your faith. Fascinating story, I thought. <coughs> it is not your faith. And I thought, wait a second. Galatians 2.20. I thought it said, I live by faith in the Son of God. And this is a significant difference, right? Because if it's, if it's I live by faith in the Son of God, it sounds like it's my faith. It comes from me. But if, if it's by the faith of the Son of God, it comes from Jesus. It doesn't come from me. It's a gift. It's a gift. So I, I did some. I checked all the versions, and sure enough, most of them, most of the modern ones, had um, in the faith I live in the Son of God. But the older versions, the King James, um, says I live by the faith of the Son of God, and Young's literal translation says in the faith I live of the Son of God. So this is correct. <clears throat> Not by faith on the Son of God, but by the faith of the Son of God. And so we come back to, to what Peter said. It is in Jesus' name, it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him. So faith is not something that we have to work up. And the consequences of trying to do that, A.B. Simpson tells us what, what that does to us. It literally destroys our faith. <clears throat> so this faith that Peter said caused the healing of this lame man, came through Jesus. It's of Jesus. So what does all this mean? It means the more we focus on our faith, the more it slips away. 
The more you try to have more faith and focus on yourself and trying to work up to have more faith, the more it disappears. Have you found that? <laughs> when you ask yourself, do I have enough faith? You've already put faith as a hindrance between you and Jesus' finished work. <laughs> so don't ask, do I have enough faith? Labouring to increase our faith is just another form of trying to prove our righteousness of saving ourselves. As A.B. Simpson said, I was asking the Lord to do something for me because of something in me, not because of something in him. And God won't have that. God will do good things for us because he's good, not because we're good. And he, that's why he allowed A.B. Simpson's faith and his own faith, because that's what it was really, to be destroyed. <clears throat> so how do we... Get more faith then, if we want more faith, and I think we'd all want more faith. We stop trying to have more faith. <laughs> Topsy-turvy, isn't it? Or the right kind of faith. We stop thinking that this faith is something that we have to generate, that comes from in us. Instead, we seek Jesus. If we have Jesus, we will have the faith that comes through him. Because that's what Peter said, the faith that comes through Jesus. A.B. Simpson understood that physical healing was a part of the blessing of abiding in Christ. That's why I love our name so much, Abide. Abiding in the Lord. If we seek to abide in the Lord, we will receive faith. It's topsy to you. He didn't have to seek more faith to be healed. He had to seek Jesus. It was when he valued the Lord more than his healing that he received his healing. It's back to front, isn't it? You think. But this is the way the kingdom of God works. And this is what he wrote of that experience. Once it was the blessing, now it is the Lord. Once it was the feeling, <clears throat> now this is weird. Once his gifts I wanted, now they give it mine. Once I sought for healing, now himself alone. Once was once twas busy planning, now it is trustful prayer. Once twas anxious caring, now he has the care. Once twas what I wanted, now what Jesus says. Once twas constant asking, now it is ceaseless praise. <clears throat> so we come back to this the kingdom of God turning our world upside down. In our world, in the world in which we live, if you want something, you set a goal and you, and you go for it. In the kingdom of God, if you want something, the Lord wants us to be satisfied with him first. And then he gives us his gifts of grace, including faith. <clears throat> and that was my experience in regards to marriage. <laughs> During the first 10 years of my singleness, I doubted God's love for me because he hadn't given me a wife. I, could, I was like, man... This guy's speaking my language. <clears throat> I wanted God to prove his love for me uh, by answering my prayer for a wife, but he never did. And uh, everything turned into a like, oh, well, God, you got to, if I went out fishing, it was like, God, you got to, you know, waiting for a big fish. And I'd catch a reasonable fish. Mm, could be bigger, Lord. You know, and everything turned into a like a, me, me, me. Yeah, everything was just terrible. But slowly I came to a place where I knew God loved me because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And that reason alone became sufficient. 
And I saw that if I required anything more for God to prove his love for me, I was saying to him that the gift of Jesus wasn't enough. That's what I was saying. And what a thing to say to God. Well, thanks, God, but, you know, the gift of Jesus, it wasn't enough. You need to do extra stuff for me to prove your love for me. God is saying, no, that's not how it works. And it was when I became content in his love, and I actually started to reasonably enjoy my singleness, uh, as a result, that's when he brought Sarah into my life. So A.B. Simpson would say, if you want healing, seek Jesus and abide in him. Delight yourself in him. That's from Psalms, isn't it? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. <clears throat> Peter would say, if you want more faith, seek Jesus, abide in Jesus, and you will receive the gift of faith that comes through him. So over the last few weeks, we've all been called to build our lives on this new reality that we as God's people are his temple. In our midst, in us, is where he dwells. And today we've seen that where God's presence is welcomed and he dwells in his fullness as he did in Peter. He is free to move in power to heal and to bless. But it's, it's fascinating to, to remember what happened to Peter, eh? Peter ended up being crucified upside down. That means because he didn't consider himself worthy to be crucified the right way out. That, that means for him, Jesus was all that he wanted. So... Um, he really lived out this, this truth, this reality, that God is here. God dwells in our midst. And as a result, God was free to move, to heal and to, and to bless. So I hope our talk today, our message today, has given you encouragement to pray more. Keep on praying for more of the Holy Spirit, more of the Lord in your life. Open yourself. And remember, God has already made you perfect. He's covered you with his perfect righteousness. So you can pray with confidence and, and, and you don't disqualify yourself when you sin. Instead, claim the righteousness of God and stay in his intimate presence. Stay with the Lord. Where God dwells, he moves. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the story, the story of this this lame man who was made whole and he could walk into the temple. Lord, we thank you that you still move, you're still alive, you're still powerful. Lord, you're here. We thank you so much for your presence. Lord, we long for more of you. We will continue to pray, Lord. Come into our midst <clears throat> more and more. May your presence grow in our midst, expand, and Lord, move in power among us. Give us the gift of faith that comes through Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name.